Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Well, it's like a, a three-hour commercial for the alt-right. I mean, yeah. it's... it's yeah. uh, I was... Uh, it, you know, there's so many stunning things about this movie because it is so beyond its time. You mentioned three hours. The average movie was six to eight minutes. Uh, it, yeah. co- it cost $2 to see this at the time, which in today's dollars is 50 bucks just yeah, to see it, this. Yeah, and it played it played at the at that rate in New York for like forty weeks straight, and uh, uh, it's still if if we readjusted prices and we had a better handle on uh, you know how many people saw it, it's still arguably the highest grossing movie in history with adjusted you know prices, and it's still a recruiter for um, ultra right Aryan type uh, organizations, so. Um, it's not a movie that has actually sadly left us yet uh, in terms of its social impact. Due to some violent content, parental discretion is advised. It's time, America. Mr. and Mr. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in, place your tray table in its upright lock position, and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Thursday, February 8th, 2018, episode 261. I'm Tom Gully, and tonight on The Tom Gully Show. In 1915, President Woodrow Wilson opened up a cloakroom in the White House and held a screening of D.W. Griffith's groundbreaking yet horrifyingly cringeworthy Birth of a Nation, the first movie ever shown in the White House. Now, you might be thinking about this episode, Woodrow Wilson in 1915. Wake me up when it's over, but you would be wrong. There's three things you need to know about Woodrow Wilson. Number one, he was president for the First World War, not, you know, the big one, WW2, but the prequel, you know, so that's a thing. Number two, he had only two years of government experience before becoming president. And until recently, you might have been saying, hey, honey, you're not going to believe this. Woodrow Wilson had only two measly years of experience in government before becoming president. That's that's like an associate's degree in getting ready to be president. Can you believe that? Number three, the third and most interesting thing is that Woodrow Wilson had a massive stroke when he was in his second term as president, not just your aunt. 
Myrtle's hand shakes a little when she uses a fork to eat green beans at Thanksgiving stroke, but a massive one, totally paralyzed on the left side of his body, blind in his left eye, totally gorked out stroke. So his wife, Edna, was pretty much the president. Members of the cabinet had to have her decipher things. You know, there wasn't a 25th Amendment yet. So she was pretty much running the country. So Edna, and I think their power couple name would have been Edro or Woodna, take your pick, was kind of president for a while. There you go. With us tonight will be the esteemed film historian, Dr. Wes Gehring, to guide us through a film masterpiece, Birth of a Nation, that revolutionized the movies in many ways, but is also sadly an incredibly racially insensitive rewriting of the Civil War. We'll tell you all about it tonight on The Tom Gully Show. Ladies and gentlemen... The chief hope of our enemies is to divide the United States along racial and religious lines and thereby conquer us. Let's not spread prejudice. A divided America is a weak America. Through our behavior, we encourage the respect of our children and make them better neighbors to all races and religions. Remind them that being good neighbors has helped make our country great and kept her free. Thank you. So the first movie shown in the White House was the aforementioned Birth of a Nation, directed by D.W. Griffith, and here to help us walk through this horrifyingly racist masterpiece of American cinema is Wes Gehring, noted film historian who's written over 30 books on film history. He also writes for USA Today magazine, amongst other things. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's a real honor to be and privilege to be on your show. Oh, well, uh, this movie was kind of like the Titanic of its day. If, of course, while Jack and Rose were out on that piece of wood, <laughs> a bunch of black guys were trying to rape Rose, and the KKK came in as the good guys and saved yeah. the day, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an amazing film. Um, uh, Griffith's probably central biographer, um, uh, Richard Schickel, um, this is just a quote from his biography on Griffith. Um, uh, he said, high artistic vision does not necessarily correlate with a singularly elevated social vision. And that's a dilemma that um, film historians and fans of any movies have. I mean, technologically, uh, here's a three-hour epic at a time when the typical movie was about six to eight minutes long. And uh, visually, it was progressive in every way possible, you know, from anything you can think of. Um, but socially, the message was uh, pretty sad. I mean, it was Reconstruction as, uh, you know, uh, Ku Klux Klan as heroes. So uh, it's, it's hard to mix it. You have to use it in class to teach um, technological advances in, in filmmaking and uh, these types of things. But socially, it's it's very difficult to show and talk about and uh, uh, address in any particularly meaningful way other than just a, a kind of a, a situation not unlike where we're in today, a kind of a, a jaw-dropping situation every day. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, go ahead. Well, it's like a, a three-hour commercial for the alt-right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's yeah. uh, I was, uh, it, you know, there's so many stunning things about this movie because it is so beyond its time. You mentioned three hours. The average movie was six to eight minutes. 
it yeah. co- it cost $2 to see this at the time which in today's dollars is 50 bucks just yeah, to see it, this yeah and it played it played at the at that rate in New York for like 40 weeks straight and uh uh it's still if if we readjusted prices and we had a better handle on uh, you know how many people saw it it's still arguably the highest grossing movie in history with adjusted you know prices and it's still a recruiter for um ultra right aryan type uh, organizations so um it's not a movie that has actually sadly left us yet uh, in terms of its social impact. Um, well, I mean, we uh, should mention that, that uh, you know, it's not the slavery. If you see a movie about the Civil War, you expect to see slavery. Uh, yeah. It's that they totally reconstruct history and make these huge leaps of historical fiction in that, you know, the Union Army was completely African-American and came down and was totally evil. The South was the good guys. The KKK yeah. was pretty much the cavalry at the time. What kind of, you know, popular culture, if you will, of the 1900s uh, did this thing have when it came out, other than the NC, uh, the NAACP saying, we hate this? Well, the NAACP, it helped, uh, which was founded in 1909 with the 100th anniversary of Lincoln, um, it was one of the first, it kind of helped put them on the map because they fought um, very strongly at first, uh, you know, lost a lot of battles, but eventually it, it made them a, a, a more national, um, prominent, uh, progressive organization uh, because of it. Just, you know, a lot of things coalesced against this uh, particular film. But the, the freaky thing about it is... Um, President Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, who in many, many ways was a very progressive Democrat in the progressive era, the first two decades of the 20th century, but he was a Southerner, and um, he actually had a lot of the same beliefs of D.W. Griffith, not to the extreme. And the, the there's a famous quote. Uh, it was it was the first film shown in the White House, and it was a quote that he said it's like writing history with lightning, and that probably wasn't true. Uh, that was probably something that. Um, the uh, original novelist who, had, who, what this is based on, Thomas Dixon is his name, um, who he'd, who'd actually gone to college at one point with uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, probably did that for a PR purpose. But that being said, for all of Wilson's progressive things, uh, you know, uh, trying to get a League of Nations, uh, more progressive legislation than anybody un- until, like, Roosevelt and the New Deal, um, he segregated basically the um uh the federal uh government i mean he just turned it in a, turned it on its ear i mean for all the progressive things he was for uh this was one thing where he was kind of um not that far away from griffith in terms of views and so um uh censorship was really strong at that period and at the state and local level but since um most censorship boards were white um the NAACP and other or liberal organizations had a hard time initially trying to, you know, um, keep it from playing. Uh, it was very disruptive. Um, a few, um, a few, I think within six months or so, a number of cities in three states actually banned it. But it still played, like you said, um, for prolonged times at exorbitant rates for uh, for even now. Uh, so. Um, it was such a hullabaloo. It, it um, 
it did, it did another thing too. The technological aspect of it suddenly made people aware of the movies more because prior to this, a lot of people looked at the movies as either for uh, low income, people not much education, immigrants, people who can't read, they have to see a silent movie. And so in, at one level, it sort of upped the level of, of the, the power of motion pictures, which is good, but the message you know, that it presented was uh, really, really you know, depressing, sad, uh, not true, um, every negative you can kind of come up with. And yeah, well, and, it was, go ahead. But, well, it, it's just, you know, even looking at it now, and there's a really good sort of print, if you will, of it on YouTube. Yeah. The full thing is there. It's really well art directed. It's pretty well edited, you know, with making a, a, a few, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you have to, you have to realize that it is a silent movie, but, right, but that right. the scenes are well art directed. It's scope and it's scale is really impressive on a lot of levels. A lot of the scenes you're going, wow, this is almost gone with the wind level beauty in some of these shots but i mean we start off with it's based on a book called the klansman yeah i mean it and <laughs> and when it first premiered that was actually the title on the film but griffith decided um the you know the end of the civil war the end of reconstruction united the united states and he, he thought let's call it birth of a nation so yeah, the, the klansman maybe not great for box office <laughs> Uh, one of the more pioneering things, and, and maybe it's just, just me, it's almost got like the first anti-piracy notification. Like one of the very first intertitles is this thing that says, hey, unless you see my studio's official stamp right. on, on the uh, intertitles, then you're looking at a pirated copy of this film. Was that a, was that a big problem back then? Yeah, I mean... Uh uh, especially for um, like foreign filmmakers, but yeah, anything that was of any popularity at all was duped almost immediately. Because, well, for for one thing, um, you didn't have uh, oh, how to say this? Um, it wasn't considered an art form. It wasn't considered like uh, free speech, and um, it helped create a situation where it was like three or four decades before uh, movies were given the, the right as uh, like a free speech kind of thing. And it was a business, pure and simple kind of thing. It was sort of like um, like baseball uh, at the time. Uh, there was no kind of, I mean, it was anything goes. So, yeah, it was progressive in that in that way. But, but to me, as a historian looking at the film or teaching the, the film, um, I, I try to focus on it. It's three hours long. It was originally shown with an intermission in the middle. And the first half is about the Civil War. And that's more palatable to look at. And you see a lot of the... He, um, Griffith didn't really invent a whole ton of innovations, but he picked up on the, the uniqueness of them. And the cutting and the, the implied close-ups or tracking shots or all these things other people had done here or there or accidentally and he realized no this is this is significant we can do this and he was the first one to kind of realize that we can put this all together and and uh, you know uh, use it in a very artistic manner and so I think that that was his gift to, to cinema but the irony is you know he did all these innovative things 
And within a very short period of time, um, everybody had kind of caught up with him. And by the time, even before sound uh, came, his career was, you know, radically on the decline because of a lot of his ideas, his thinking was looking backwards as reflected in his, uh, you know, thinking on, on race relations well, and things l- like that. Looking backwards and just inventing stuff, you know? I mean, uh, yeah. you know, the first part of the movie, as you say, is relatively true to history to a certain extent. Uh, It's just that the depictions of African-Americans are so loathsome. And a lot of, you know, the word mulatto is used quite frequently. Uh, Black people are seen as, you know, spitting at white people. Um, The, uh, you know, the scene where um, the, the Northerners, you know, senator comes in and and his housekeeper drops the hat and he's like so incensed and she's spitting at him out the door. Uh, all through the thing, I'm like going, when are you going to use the N-word? Because I know you want to. I know yeah. you want to use the N-word. And it does finally appear in one of the inner titles. And it's like, I'm like, there you go. You finally got it in the movie. Uh, yeah. It, it, yeah. it really uh, then just takes a super hard left-hand turn after the Civil War, during Reconstruction, and makes these giant leaps of historical fiction. And all the way through, you have these these scenes of like, uh, you know, they make up the fact that all of the governments in the South were totally inhabited by African-Americans who were placed there by the North. They wouldn't allow white people to vote. And in the South Carolina state, you know, government's halls during, you know, legislation, the uh, blacks are seen as drinking whiskey, eating fried chicken, uh, feet up on the tables, feet up on the table to lure them into voting. Uh, They're given watermelon. Uh, It's like, you cannot get worse. I mean, all the way through the actual depictions, uh, even in excess of, of, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the historical fiction, just the way they're shown is horrible. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to put it, too, in the context of we have a president at that time. The only, Wilson's the only president that has a Ph.D., and it was in history. And uh, um, his seeming endorsement of the thing, you know, this history professor, president, uh, that added to the, you know, misdirection of the truthfulness of the, of the whole thing. And especially, like you said, the first half follows history to, you know, I mean, like the depiction of, of um, Lincoln's assassination and, you know, trying to get an exact kind of, you know, reproduction of famous uh, photographs and things like that. And then, like you said, the second half, we just, is a flip-flop, you know, so it sort of sucks you in and then it's like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Um, well, well, Wilson, so, Wilson's even quoted in the movie. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. there's two quotes, you know, put the white South under the heel of the black South and KKK protected the South. And those are directly yeah. attributed to the president who the same year it's made, as you mentioned, takes people into the cloakroom. First movie shown in the White House, which is, of course, built by slaves. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it just I mean, I could go down a list of of, you know, all Negro juries that are ruling against white guys, lynching a servant for a black servant for not voting yeah. with the North, 
the helpless white minority. It makes, he constantly, at every time he gets a chance, makes the South look like the good guys and put upon. And even the end of the movie, the end of the movie is just about a John Wayne movie. Instead of the cavalry riding in, though, it's the KKK. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the thing that um, probably its biggest single influence is the cross-cutting, the editing. Um, the the Soviet montage school of the 1920s, uh, uh, the Eisenstein, the Battleship Potemkin, things like that, they took this movie apart and reassembled it in different ways and everything. And uh, nobody really had used the power of editing like um, uh, Griffith had. So... Um, that's its its probably its its biggest legacy, and uh, if you wanted to see its ongoing legacy now, it's probably in TV commercials, you know, because um, the the cross cutting or the what was often called intellectual montage, connecting two pieces of film, and suddenly it's supposed to mean something else. I mean that the if you took one technological thing out of the film in terms of its influence was the editing, and the the Soviets picked up on that more than anything else. The Germans were um, fascinated by German expressionism was fascinated by just what Griffith did within the you know the the film frame uh, and how he did that so it was an international influential um, technological film but you know the message that it sent socially about African Americans was just horrendous and uh, uh, the other thing too was just that Wilson was so progressive in so many other ways but he, he the federal government had made real progress with integrating African Americans into, you know, uh, jobs and everything like that, and he just he stopped that. I mean, he just uh, he had segregation in the, you know, within the different departments, and claimed to, oh, just it makes everything go a bit more smoothly. And he'd done a number of history books, and some of them were fairly progressive, and and some of them really kind of adhered to what Griffith was was suggesting in uh, the second half of Birth of a Nation. So um, it was a real bipolar scenario going on. And, and um, the constant theme of black men trying to rape white women all throughout the thing. It's like, and, and the one girl jumps off a cliff rather right. than give up her honor. Uh, I think in the end yeah. scene, uh, one of the end scenes, there's two gentlemen, their house is being attacked by a militia of Union Negro soldiers. You don't see any but like one or two white Union yeah. officers in the whole movie. The rest are all African-Americans, and they're attacking this house, and the two guys in the, the house are ready, I think, to kill their women rather than have oh, yeah. them you know it's it is constant pervasive throughout the movie uh black men trying to take white women and he makes griffith in the intertitles makes a few you know allusions to the fact that the the flower of white womanhood and and this and that oh yeah i mean it, it reminds me of like uh there's a point in the john ford stagecoach where uh um you know, they think they're going to be taken by the Indians, and the gambler, um, you know, in the in the film is going to shoot the white woman because we can't have you know Native Americans take white women. You know, I mean, it, it was pervasive um, minorities, you know, all over in the first what fifty years of the twentieth century. Um, all of these things applied, you know, and unfortunately, they they still apply in many cases, but. That was the ongoing legacy thing because the film didn't just stop. It kept, uh, you know, I, I 
I've done several books recently in the 20s, and the film kept being re-released. And uh, one thing for historians that's tricky is the fact that we don't really have a definitive birth of a nation. I mean, we know what it was about, and it's all these horrific things, but Griffith kept tweaking it, and then it's been in public domain for a hundred years almost, so um, other people have kind of reassembled this sort of thing, but yeah, it, it, it continued to be shown, and then when sound came in, there was a score put on it, and you can, um, you know, you can, you can go through newspapers of the late 20s and early 30s and seeing it reissued, 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 and it had a huge impact on, um, in World War One on, uh, propaganda about the Huns, you know, the Germans. Yeah. Are, uh, uh, and w- when I did this book on, on Chaplin and World War I and everything like that, um, it was almost like a template for um, how the British did a lot of cinema to get us into the war and just pencil in Germans instead of African Americans, and it was the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, things about the Kaiser and stuff like that. So. Right. Uh, as in terms of a propaganda kind of scenario, you can kind of gerrymander your way to Adolf Hitler and the power of cinema, because he recognized that. I mean, that was one of the things he realized, the power of propaganda and the power of the movies and how Germany probably lost the war because of Britain being a better at film. And it all comes back to D.W. Griffith and Birth of a Nation. So, I mean, the levels that it impacted weren't just in the United States. It it was worldwide, at least in, in, in the Western world, not only technologically, but, you know, um, sociologically. So Well, I'll tell um, you, the, there's also like a couple wonderful moments of hypocrisy. First of all, you know, all of the marauding, evil, northern, totally African-American regiments that are come down and just laying waste to the south – they always had the one scallywag white captain because it's like, well, let's not be crazy here. The African-Americans yeah. can't be trusted to maraud the South on their own because they need a white guy to you know, be in charge. And then the, the one scene that is almost plays comically now, almost like a like a, an episode of Rising Damp, the, the BBC sitcom, the, the mulatto sort of appointed to take over the South, evil villain of the movie, Silas Lynch, tells uh, Stoneman, the patriarch of the white family throughout the movie, yeah. I want to marry a white woman. And the guy's like all for it. Hey, that's great. That's super. And then he says, the white woman I want to marry is your daughter. And it's yeah. like, whoa, <laughs> hey now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. We can't have yeah. that. One question I have to ask you, because it just freaked me out through the whole movie. Stoneman, the patriarch of the Northern family, has this one foot that's normal. And then he has this other foot that's like in a giant sketcher, this bizarre boot. What is going yeah. on with that? Was that like a thing in the time where if you're physically, you know, infirm or something, you're evil? Yeah, or? yeah. It, it was just a primitive corrective device for, for a, bad, a bad foot. And historically, you know, Griffith doesn't really deal with the fact that, you know, that character, um, that is Stevens, is loosely based on someone, you know, who actually had a common law uh black maid for his wife, uh, which is a whole other thing. We, we should say the, the whole the whole focus of the film is a, um, kind of like a well-to-do family from the north and to the south and how they're intermingled and eventually they come together at the end. But um, probably the most moving part of the first movie, the uh, first half of the film is when the little colonel, the, the, uh, the son of the southern family, uh, 
actually um, uh, leads a, a charge and uh, with one son or one brother or one person from either an or family dying around them and there's a cheer that goes up and uh, uh, it's, it's all very patriotic if you're a confederate but um, the bottom line is it's um, like I said it's jaw dropping it, it's I can't show it in my class the whole thing what I do is I usually show uh, a good portion of the Civil War and then I show elements of the, the second half and then we, we look at uh, there's a couple really well, there's a lot of good documentaries on the film and we should we should remind people too that um, you know uh, blacks weren't even good enough to be portrayed exactly. in the movie as exactly. actors so it was a lot of blackface uh, people I mean it, it wasn't really till later in the in the late 20s and 30s that uh, you know they're bad stereotypes but at least African Americans were getting you know, like a step and fetch it or somebody like that, Willie Smith. Uh, and these are all, playing th- black. all these yeah. are all through the movie. Anybody that's, uh, you know, there were some African American people in the movie. Yeah, yeah, there were some, but, but, but in, um, in crowds, in big crowd scenes, and never in a quote unquote acting role. Any of the actual interactions from an actor's perspective, those were all done in blackface, one hundred percent. So it's hard to watch from. About a million reasons, but uh, Wes, thank you so much for your time and uh, helping us watch through this amazingly cringeworthy film. (laughs) And the first one in the White House. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, very ironic. You're listening to The Tom Gully Show. Shazam! Just send an email to tom at thetomgullyshow.com. like to thank Wes Gehring for being on the show again. You can get any of his 30 plus books on Amazon or just type his name into Google and get ready for the avalanche, I guess. You can go to the TomGullyShow.com to the posting for this episode 261 and you can see how to spell his name and everything. G-E-H-R-I-N-G. Dr. Wes Gehring. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show. Not me, because I'll turn you down flat. But the show, the show page on Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes, of course, for free. Because if it's free, it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well, so I can increase my clout and cred ratings, because if I get enough points, we're all going to go to the aces. And uh, that'll about do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I got to go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later. Each night, Jay Johnson brings us in with the Truth Wagon. Go to jjohnsonmusic.com to get more of Jay. 
And each night we take you out with Russell Alexander and the Hitman Blues Band. Go to hitmanbluesband.com, sorry, rented lips, or hitmanbluesband.net. If you go to the .net number, I think, not sure because I didn't check, but I think they still have this tremendous offer, which is just for signing up for their newsletter, you get nine of the most killer blues songs you are ever going to hear for free, okay? And they don't kill you with this newsletter. It's very tasteful. You get four or five of them a year in your email box, okay? And uh, by the way, if you do get the nine free songs, my advice, buy nine more because then you're getting them all at half price. You're still a smart shopper, okay? You're still saving money, but you're going to love this blues band. And uh, that's how we roll. And we will see you next time. Can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you. See it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies that he don't want you. He stays at work too long and you beg him to come home, but he don't want to. Girl, I'd be so good.